Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. We bring amazing Agilists together to share their ideas about agility in today's fast-paced world. We examine current Agile tips and practices with the goal of helping you become an Agile leader in your organization. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and, just, and subscribe on Patreon at ryanripley.com. In exchange for supporting this program, we can continue to bring you great guests and insights from the Agile community. With multiple subscriber levels, you can help make this show even better. We're always taking your questions and comments about the show via email at, ryan, at ryanripley.com and on the ryanripley.com website. Joining me today is Kevin Traithaway and Daniel Rowe. We're going to join that conversation uh, that's in progress. I hope you all enjoy this, the spine model is very fascinating to me, and I, I surely hope you're able to, to learn about it and use it in your own life. Let's get right to it. So we met at uh, Agile Africa this past, uh, past few months, or a few months ago. I uh, had a really great time there. Really wonderful conference and really enjoyed your community. I got to say, Kevin, I've never seen anyone be able to spot wildlife as quickly as you can. Uh, <laughs> we were up in uh, Peelensburg at the... At the at the I don't know, do you call it a preserve, a park? Game reserve. Game reserve. And uh Don Gray and I are in the car with Kevin and we're just looking out the window and la da 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 and Kevin's just seeing a thousand things and Don and I are not seeing anything and it was a phenomenal experience. So thank you for uh for being our, our guide on that one. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. You guys did nearly get taken out by some sort of suicidal bird. Uh, <laughs> that, that, did interest. that bird hated me. That was, yep. uh, I've never, he targeted me. That, I had never seen anything like that before. But um, so the reason we're having these guys on, I mean, first of all, we just, we had a great time in South Africa. They're wonderful to talk to. Uh, but they've got this, uh, this thing called the spine model. And it's something that I was able to get a little bit of information about, but I am an absolute beginner. An interesting idea that I'm hoping they can unpack for us. I'm going to try to ask questions, but I'm really looking forward to you guys digging into uh, the spine model and how this works. So I don't know who'd like to start, but uh, I just I can't wait to have this unpacked. Uh, yeah, Donia and I chatted briefly before, and actually um, today I was applying the model. So maybe that's an interesting thing to talk about. There's a, 
a team at a client. So at the moment we're coaching together. We try and look for opportunities to coach together because uh, we can lean on each other when we do. And there's a team that is in a very difficult place at the moment. Um, they're just not going anywhere. It's, you know, it's like a boat when there's no wind. And, uh, you know, after a day or two on a boat with no wind, people start finding things to get their fingers into that they perhaps shouldn't. And, and things are just not pretty in that team. So we decided a, a good hypothesis would be what would happen if we got the team to just sit in a room for a week and try and actually get some things done. You know, they'd done all the magic incantations. They'd done a team contract. They had a team wall. They were doing daily stand-ups. They were doing retrospectives. And all of the, the things were in place, but they just weren't actually getting anywhere. Um, and so... I sort of applied the spine model in an interesting way to get them moving forward. And the step zero for that model is to just draw the boundaries of the system that you're talking about. Now, we use the word system to mean any sort of system, you know, a, a work system, a, a meeting could be a system, a team is a system, a department or a company. They're all different kinds of systems. And so we just said, okay, well, this is the system for a week. We're all sitting in this room together. Uh, the outcome is to get some value delivered, and we're going to optimize for these three things. We're going to optimize for whole person, meaning bring your whole self into this room. You might be hired as a tester, but if there's something you can contribute from your experience and your knowledge, contribute. Don't wait for testing to happen. Uh, and then whole team. So we're just going to work as a whole team. We're going to work on one thing at a time and solve it together as a team. And then the third thing was value. We're, we're just going to find the value and, and try and extract that. And so I gave them things to optimize for. And from there, we just had a very, very interesting day. Um, and that's sort of an application of the model is that you need to align your the needs first. Right? So when people are in, aligned at a needs level, they can then move forward. And if they're not, you they start to bump heads on what they're doing and how they're doing it and which direction it should go in. Um, so today was a nice case uh, sort of of starting at needs, getting people to decide what they're optimizing for and then moving forward from there. But as we unpack the model, I think why I approached it like that become a bit clearer. Right, so we've got the three levels of optimization, the, the needs are aligned. Uh, where do we go from there? All right, so now we've done step zero. We've drawn a boundary around the system because uh, that, that's an important first step, right? Often, you know, we'll ask people who's the team and two things will happen. First thing we'll get looks like what a dumb question and then the second thing is we'll get three different answers. <laughs> so it's very important to start with to say, okay, well, what is the system that we're talking about? And then to say, well, what is the purpose of this system? What needs does it satisfy in the wider environment? And that's very much a systems thinking question um, that you need everybody to agree on. From there, what are you optimizing for? So that's the, the, the needs is the top level, the values is the second level, and then it gets down to principles. Uh, principles are how systems actually work. There are some very good scientific principles that sort of show how systems will work. And so once you understand and are aligned at a needs level and you know what you're optimizing for, you can get into the discussion of what principles are more likely to move us towards those. Um, and so, you know, Scrum's got principles, Safe's got principles, XP, there's a bunch of 
you know, queuing theory, complexity theory, systems thinking. There's a lot of principles that you can apply, but starting at needs and values gets you to define a smaller set of principles that are important. Where does uh, the spine model come from? I Just the origin story, if you could provide that, because it sounds, I mean, this is, it's a fascinating look at, well, let me put it this way. It's the first time that I've heard of a system that actually took a systems first approach. And then from a systems first approach, it's the first time I've heard of someone saying, well, let's align people first. I, I just, I'm finding this fascinating. Where did this grow from? So I was waiting for Kevin to get to the next level, which is practices. So we have needs, values, principles, and practices. And for every, any extreme programmer in the audience, that should sound very familiar. So Ken Beck and his extreme programming book had this model of we start with the principles, then we have the practices. We start with values, principles, and then practices. And we used this model four or five years ago when Kevin and I started um, consulting together as the way in which we thought, because we were both, we are both extreme programming people, and we were starting to consult in this organization, and we were working with this third person by the name of Sandy Reader, and she's a, a very good, smart person, and she asked us, what is our working model for consulting? And we both answered at the same time, it's obviously values, principles, practices. And so that's sort of the seed of it. We started using that model to approach, as we do intuitively, approach how we solve this organizational problem. And we started working with teams together. And after, after 10, 20, 30 times, where every single time we meet a new team, they really, really wanted to talk about this burning issue in the organization called Jira or Jira. And Kevin, in a, in a, I think, a fit of despair, sort of after writing principle of values, principles, practice, wrote at the bottom of practices saying, you are having a tools discussion right now. This is not the level on which we're trying to have the conversation. We're trying to pull the conversation up. And in that magic moment, we looked at each other and we realized we just, we just got somewhere interesting. So we started doing that. We started writing tools at the bottom. And we would say, we are having a tools conversation right now. How can we pull this conversation up? Up away from Jira, which is a fantastic tool and a good tool, without deciding what practices we are choosing to use this tool, we are having a tool discussion and it's going absolutely nowhere. So how can we pull this conversation up to practices? What are you trying to do? We are trying to Visualize, to, you're trying to see where the work is at now. And then we said, okay, that, that's a useful thing to do. But there's a principle above that. And the principle is how can, you, how can you actually see the flow of work? How can you model the flow of work as it goes through a system? That is a very useful principle, very Kanban in its approach. That's where we stopped for a while. We had a way of talking from the principles, then practices, first values, principles, practices, and then tools. And then we started talking about, we did a learning group together, Kevin, me, and some other people. You've met Joe and Louise and those people. Yep. And we, investig we investigated nonviolent communication. Have you heard of nonviolent communication? Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's pretty popular over here. Yeah, I'm actively envious of over there. 
because here is rather new. Uh, we're still talking about what needs are. And then Kevin came, Kevin one morning was walking up to me and said, he, he found a way to start really aligning where we should start this conversation. And the moral and the, the metaphor that he thinks is interesting is we should have a spine. We should have a spine and everything should align from the head down all the way. And if you start at the top and you start aligning to needs, then values, then principles, then practices, and finally, and only finally tools, we have a good aligned spine. And if you don't align there and you start with tools, you have a very, very wonky spine. You have a curved spine and nothing will work. It will, it will work as a clunky thing for a while, but if you keep on walking and keep on working with a curved spine, massive injuries will occur and you will eventually die. <laughs> that's dramatic. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> that, that's done. <laughs> no, I, I like it. I like the, I like the idea that uh, that alignment metaphor just carried through to the spine. I think that's awesome. I also think it's interesting that um, tools end up being the tailbone. Yep. <laughs> Is that intentional or, or yep. just a happy coincidence? Uh, that happy coincidence. I'll say. As you can hear from from the story, we didn't set out to make a model. We, we were we were trying really really hard uh, to be effective and just use our experience from XP uh, and then from NVC. And you know, Donnie's got quite a deep understanding of NLP, and that comes in at the values level as well. And and so it it really was just a synthesis and a way of communicating how we think, and then aligning how teams think about themselves in a way that helps them to be effective. So the model sort of emerged from the work that we do as opposed to us sitting in front of a whiteboard and trying to create a model. All right, we're going to take a quick break to bring you a message from this week's episode sponsor, TechWell. The software development industry is changing, and we're constantly facing new challenges, pressures, and opportunities in the Agile arena. In fact, the increased demand may have you asking, how do I keep up with it all? Learn how at Agile Dev West, taking place June 3rd through the 8th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Agile Dev West offers you the perfect opportunity to get away from the office distractions, to immerse yourself and improve your skills in areas such as Agile and Lean Development, Scaled Agile Development, DevOps, AI and Machine Learning, Digital Transformation, Leadership, and much more. Choose from, one, from over 100 learning opportunities to learn from industry leaders, find solutions to your challenges, and network with industry peers. Agile for Humans listeners, use the code AFH18, that's AFH18, to receive 10% off your conference registration. Visit well.tc forward slash agile for more information. So now you have this model. I'm assuming this is at the basis of, of the work that you're doing now. Are you seeing, I mean, is, is this just changing the conversations you're having at, at, at clients? Are you finding that uh, when you bring this model forward at you know, at, at these larger uh, corporations that you're working with, are you finding that this is actually getting some traction? You know, how are you, how is it received, I guess, is really the essence of the question. Well, I can, I can give you an example of how we use it. It's become very much the way I personally sort of map things. I find I can understand what's going on very quickly if I just sort of identify, okay, 
these are what people see the need of, of that, that particular system is. These are the, the principles and the practices in play. And I just sort of, it becomes a nice way of understanding very quickly what's going on and identifying where things are, are misaligned. But one practical use is uh, we've got this idea of, we call it the find a way to, uh, which is essentially a way for teams to measure themselves and find ways to improve. So again, applying the model, we could, you know, Dania and I have been coaching for a decade each, and, and we could go into a team and say, you know, these are absolutely the tools that effective teams have used, or these are the practices that effective teams have followed. You know, if you do a stand-up and a retro and a this and a that, then you're guaranteed to be successful. In our experience, that doesn't work. People need to understand and align at the higher levels first. So this find a way to model, we've extracted probably about 25 principles that we've observed frequently in highly effective teams. They found a way to honor these principles. And so we get teams to understand a bit of the spine model and then self-assess themselves against what have they actually found a way to do at a principle level. And so we map that against a fluency spectrum, you know, the agile fluency model sort of levels of this is absolutely the way we do things, even under pressure, all the way to we've not really heard of this before. And then this becomes a list of things that teams can find a way to do. And they pick two or three as team goals that they're going to work on in the near future. And those become principles that the team tries to get to by experimenting and exploring with different practices and tools that might help them to find a way to do that thing. Um, and we find it's quite effective to measure and hold them accountable at a principle level, but allow the people who are doing the work to figure out for right now, for where they are, what are the practices and tools that will actually move them forward. So that's fascinating. The The accountability comes in at that principle level, which really to me just sounds like empowerment. So essentially you've decided on these principles. We're going to build in the courage, the trust, the safety, all those things that you need to actually hold to those principles and then organize yourselves around the rest of the work. Am I getting this right? That, that's exactly it. And then at the same time, you get some level of, of I don't want to use the word dashboarding, but a way of tracking over time where teams are at. Are are they trending more towards the fluent side of these things or are they not? Um, so you can you can start to see in an environment how fluent are the teams at actually at, at doing these things. Um, so it becomes a nice trend analysis over time of, of is the coaching being effective? You know, it might be one of the questions you could look at with that. So we've done this with uh, 25 teams or 24 teams by now. And uh, it is our experience that, uh, well, in, in Kevin and I's case, this specific study we're talking about, specific case we're speaking about, this would be literally the first time that most of these people would meet us. And going into the session, people are not very fond of the idea of spending two hours with us. And we find that by the end of two hours, they all say that they wanted more time to do this. Um, so our team goal sessions have been very well received. And it, is, it has become a way in which they have better conversations for these teams because they have been stuck in practices and tools land. Uh, we, we get language in this environment to the point of uh, checklists are not agile, so we shouldn't do checklists. So to have a way to say that is, that is, just, that is just not a conversation. We should talk about what the principles is of both what we're doing and what this checklist thing is. What is the principle we're trying to reach with, 
checklists. And in that one specific case, a group of 20 people really calmed down. And they said, yes, checklists are useful. It is a useful tool. It's a useful practice. What is the principle we're trying to apply in this system? Um, we find that pulling the conversations up to principles really calms things down, uh, which is, which is, I think, about the spine model that, that we use a lot as language. Uh, how, we, how can we go up a level? How can, we, how can we get to a level where we can reach agreement? Uh, I think... Yeah, having, having the principles in the middle there has been quite a magical thing because we find you know, organizational design people and executives, people who are used to taking a long view, they're very comfortable talking about what the needs and the values are. But when they talk about it, people that are used to very technical work tend to switch off and say, you know, tell me when we're going to be working again and I'll check back in. And when we're talking about practices and tools with the very technical people, the more strategic people are saying, well, that's that's detail issues. Why are we why are we stuck in the detail? And it's at this principle level that the conversation uh, can really meet and people can have useful discussions and alignment of saying, you know, if we align the needs and the values and we understand it, these are the principles that are important. And at that point, the people who are responsible for the strategy can say, okay, if you can honor those principles, we're happy for you to own the actual journey to getting there. One of the things we have also found is that there are different rates of change to these things, or there should be different rates of change. So in terms of a system existing, a system exists almost by its definition to serve a specific need. So a system's need will not radically or almost at all change over time. And what a system values will change, will change more often than needs, but, but not a lot. And then once you understand that, the principles you will choose will sort of, you know, it will be a few months, not a, it will be a few months. What are we going to choose as principles for next few months? And then you really, really should be changing your practices way more often than you change your principles. You should be trying out new things. You should be asking, is stand-ups effective? Is the way we're doing stand-ups effective? And then finally, and this is unfortunately not the sad truth, if all of this is true, you should be changing your tools really radically and rapidly. So that helps with the conversation as well, because the more strategic-minded people, the people who need to look over a long term and consider a longer term, if they could have a needs, values, and principles conversation with the teams, then the teams can take the principles conversation and make that practices and tools. And all of that can happen at different rates of change, different rates of speed. Because up to now, sometimes the person who thinks long-term has to talk long-term and the team has to be aligned to this long-term wording and it, 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 it gets weird. So in this way, we're actually decoupling rates of change, one of our favorite architectural principles. So how wild are some of these initial conversations, especially when I'd imagine there's some organizations that have a realization that either they are not acting on principles or their principles were not what they thought they were? I think our favorite example is still uh, the question of drawing the boundary of the system. So we say, we just ask the question, who is in the team? And then, as Kevin said before, you get shocked expressions of, is that the dumbest question ever? And when four people answer, we have four different answers. 
And some some days we spent a full half day to full day, but at some points just getting that question out of the way. So what is the boundary of the system? Who is the team that we are talking about? What is the needs that we are trying to satisfy for what team? And a conversation that should be seven minutes could end up being half a day to a day. And we have gotten used to that and sort of that's where the conversation starts. I think that, yeah, Donnie's absolutely right. And I think the the place where we have conflict is that, especially people that are novices to an agile approach, it's the things that are really observable, you know, the practices um, that, that people want to adopt first. Um, so they want to do stand-ups, they want to do retrospectives, hopefully, um, and they want to have a wall. And you can do all of those things and still not have any level of agility in your system. And so that's really where we find the conversations get easier if you're applying the spine model is because you can say, great, those are practices. Let's go up to principles and talk about what reason you're doing these for. And often people aren't able to express that very clearly. They're doing it you know, because they were told to or because Scrum says so. And that then opens the conversation to say, well, actually, we don't have to take a faith-based approach. And we don't have to argue whose higher power is the greatest. We can look at the work of Don Reinitzen, uh, John Seddon, um, help me out, who, um, the systems thinking, Jerry uh, Russell Ackoff, Jerry uh, Weinberg, thank yep. you, yeah. And and these guys have figured this stuff out. There are very solid, provable principles, complexity theory, queuing theory, which explain why these practices work. And if we can spend a bit of time understanding that, we can then start to tailor our practices in interesting ways and start to see things we didn't see before. To hop on a specific topic, we have this we have this specific movement of going up, where if we are disagreeing on the lower levels, how can we pull things up to a level of agreement? And this is a very, very, very old trick. It is almost 2,000 years old. Uh, we refer to the old Greek dude when we talk about this. Because the Greeks found out this, this wonderful thing, or they invented this wonderful thing called rhetoric. And I don't know how much you actually studied rhetoric, Ryan. It's a, it's a very specific system of how to have a conversation. And a very important point of, a, of, a, of having a good rhetoric is to, move, to reach that point of agreement first. Uh, how one person explains it is when the whole group sort of leans forward and everyone just pauses and takes a deep breath, and somebody says, can we all just agree on this? And when enough people say, yes, we can agree on this, now you're having a good conversation. Now you have somewhere to start. And our need was, we were having these conversations about stand-ups and boards and things in the environment, and we couldn't have useful conversations because people couldn't agree on something. So then to draw things up to the principles, we can at least agree on this. And if you can't, let's draw it up one level higher. Can we at least agree on this value? Do we all at least agree that we want to honor communication? We want more communication in the system. And if we can agree on that, then we can go a level down and we can say, okay, now let's disagree and choose something to experiment with. And then we'll do it your way for a week see if it works, come back, do a retrospective, say, no, that worked, that didn't work, let's change it. As long as we start with that point of agreement of 
We want more communication. This is important to us. So you mentioned earlier you had about, I think, 25 principles that you found to be consistent or that you've observed across teams. Can you give a few examples of, uh, of what some of those are? Uh, teams have found a way to visualize how work flows through their team. So the principle is stated as visualize how work flows through our team. That is as simple as, yes, we should have a team board, is usually the practice people use. And usually when we ask people to rate themselves on that principle, they say, yeah, no, we definitely do that because, because look, we have a board. Uh, that's usually when we ask pointed questions in terms of, can I actually visualize where the bottlenecks are? Can I actually stand here in front of the board and know where the pain points are? Uh, is the board being used for active conversations on where the work is getting stuck? Uh, it's also a teaching moment that uh, Kevin uses to run a specific model that we like a lot through their heads. And at the end of that conversation, usually people agree that they do not have, they have not honored the principle of how the work flows through the system. Uh, we have a sister principle to that. Uh, that sister principle is visualize our team's work in progress. And that just for us means there's just all the work that's in the system is somewhere visualized. We're not asking to see the flow. We're just asking to see there's all the work. See, see how scary that is. So usually we find that teams that do have boards, at least in many cases, adhere to the principle of visualizing the work in progress. Then we help them take the next step of saying, okay, now let's visualize the flow of work as well. And then an additional practice, uh, principle you might bring in is maintain a single entry point for work from which the whole team pulls. So you can tell teams, you know, you should have a backlog and a product owner and then you might go into the team and find that work is arriving via email and all sorts of other different ways as well. And so you can talk to them about why is this actually important and, and the danger of queues and delays and that sort of thing. And leave with them, you need to find a way to maintain a single entry point for work from which the whole team pulls. And how they would do that, you know, perhaps they don't have a product owner, perhaps they have different kinds of setups, but they can still say at that principle level, are they able to do that or not? So then let's, let's stay on this type of example. If we were to go one level higher, what would be a value that would feed into that principle? So the one, the, the obvious would of course be feedback. Uh, you, can't, you, can't, you can't change the system without feedback and you can't have feedback without having anything to work with. So if we visualize our work in progress and we model, model the flow of the system on the board, and we value feedback, that those two principles will give us feedback. We will get feedback on how the system is performing, how the human work system is performing, uh, where the work is at, where things are getting stuck, and we would have a, a better way or a better handle on how to have conversations on changing the human work system for, for, for better feedback and more rapid feedback. Well, and my question might actually show a misunderstanding. So. I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, that the needs flow into values, the values flow into principles, the principles flow into practices, practices flow into tools. I mean, there is some interconnectivity, right? Absolutely. Okay. It, there, there is, and it's not necessarily a completely linear thing. Sure. It's more of a question of, so if you take Donnie's example with visualizing work, you know, 
if if we value feedback, if we're optimizing for feedback, would a digital board take us closer or further away from feedback? So it becomes like a movement thing, right? So we're not sure. We definitely want to visualize our work as a practice. Do we want to do it in a digital tool or do we want to do it on a physical board? And now we have a disagreement at a practice level, you know, how we're going to do it. That actually probably is a tool disagreement. And so you go up a level and up a level and you say, okay, well, in principle, we want to visualize our flow. Still not really resolving it. But if we go up and say, what are we optimizing for? Well, we're optimizing for feedback or we're optimizing for communication. Which one would move us closer to that? And it then becomes quite clear which one you should experiment with first to see if that actually does give you more of the thing that you value. Yeah, I, this is a fascinating way to, I think, not to, maybe this is a horrible pun, but to raise the level of conversation, right, as you work up the spine. I, I like this a lot because it seems like it would give us a, a framework or a model to actually have, to have like these difficult tool conversations, for example. But the further we get up, we find the agreement. Once we have agreement, we're focused and we're working back down. I, I can actually think of two or three conversations I wish I could do over now uh, with this type of discussion because I, we got lost in the weeds on a, on a tool topic, but I don't think anyone had consensus on what we valued and, and what principles we were trying to achieve. So this is, this is pretty fascinating. Um, I'm hoping, and actually I, I think you have a pretty extensive write-up on uh, spinemodel.info. Is that where people should start uh, as they, they journey through this? So we maintain two sites. Um, spinemodel.info is our best attempt at explaining the model. Um, it's not easy to explain the model via a website and via text. So you know, listening to podcasts is maybe a, a better way of, of your first introduction to it. Um, but spinemodel.info is our explanation of the different levels, um, etc. And then there's spine.wiki. And spine.wiki is something we're trying to build as a, a community-owned site uh, where people can add their own favorite practices and their own principles and tools um, to that site. Um, so those are the two different ones. Then on spine.wiki, what we also have is this idea of archetypes. So spine is sort of a, a meta mapping system, a sort of way of making sense of things. So what we've done is we've mapped Scrum to the spine model. So what are the, the Scrum practices and principles and values? And we've mapped XP and SAFE, and we're slowly working through a lot of the common ways of getting work done and just mapping them against the spine model. And that gives you a very op interesting opportunity to start to compare them to each other and to start understanding when each is appropriate to use because Scrum is not appropriate for all environments and Kanban is not appropriate for all. But what are the edge cases and where should we start? A very interesting thing is to start mapping it against a spine. When I'm, when I'm working with the spine model, let's say I'm, I'm using it in my coaching practice, uh, you'd mentioned earlier about uh, being able to, to do uh, some kind of, of dashboarding or some kind of measurement and perhaps one of the outcomes of that measurement was the uh, effectiveness of coaching. So what would some of those, dare I say, metrics kind of look like that you pull from the spine model that would allow us to gain some insights into perhaps um, effectiveness of coaching or, or things like that? So those metrics were specific to that find a way to approach. Okay. Uh, in terms of spine model metrics, 
I'm not sure. So, so metrics is something interesting, right? It, I believe it's a very context-specific thing. So you should you should decide what decisions you want to make, and then you should decide what metrics will give you some interesting feedback on that. That's not something that's really built into the model per se. Um, Donny, I don't know if you've got a different answer to that. I have. It's, it, yeah, the metrics and spine doesn't doesn't work. For a reason. So the find a way to is sort of where the agile fluency model and spine comes together in something that has a dimension of time and something that, that has measurement and something that has conversations. I, at this point, I want to mention that uh, we spine, Kevin and I, we spine things intrinsically, meaning we spine basically all situations we are in. So conversations we have, we spine. Meetings we are in, we, we spine. We, this has become so much part of how we think and how we operate that it, it, it's, it's more of a, excuse the pun here, because it's more of a thinking tool than a, a measurement tool. And I, I, I like to position it as that. It is a sense-making tool. And then there's this wonderful principle from extreme programming, which is um, self-reflecting patterns all the way down. So as much as, as, as this spine is a tool, it, it becomes a higher thing. So what we're saying is you can completely spine a big system, like a whole department of 60 people. You can define what is the need of the 60 people. And you can communicate that need. And then you can ask the teams within that system to say, how will you align your need to that need? That, that becomes an interesting conversation. And then all the way down to, well, excuse the language there, all the way to the human in that system, all the way to the individual agent in that system. What happens if they, every person in that system, do a spine for themselves? What needs do I hope to get achieved? What needs do I hope to get met in this system? Where, why am I here? And if that becomes something that I can have a conversation with you about, saying, "Hey, Kevin or Ryan, I am in this. I am in this system because I have a need. I have a need for growth. That is important to me." So personally, I value respect, feedback, and courage, and more communication. So, and I use the principle of uh, Crocker's rules, which basically means please give me as much feedback as often as you can. I will handle my own state. If this becomes a way in which I talk to you and in which the team can interact, it, it feels more powerful to me than, than what I see right now. And on a micro level, to use another example, we could spine map this podcast conversation. You know, what what need do we hope to have met by being here together talking about this? What do we value? Um, practically, what are we using? The tool is Skype. You know, you can think very quickly through this to make sure that everything's aligned. And, and if the reason we're on this podcast is not clear to you, we're going to have a mismatch, right? So it's, it was very useful to align that before we started recording. We did that intuitively at the at the level of a podcast. We tend to not do it all that intuitively for larger systems. This There's is also something we realized is that it's it's not about what the levels are necessarily. It's about the fact that there are five. There's something powerful about five levels. So if there's three levels, we can go up two levels and then come down again, and that seems fine. There seems to be something about as long if, if you can go uh, if you can find five layers of abstraction in a system and you can find a way to elegantly with intent 
jump between those levels. And you can say, I want to raise this conversation to a higher level. Can we have a higher level conversation? In my experience, and I think Kevin's too, the context becomes, the context really shifts and the conversations really get more powerful. Well, I think what you guys have done is you've, you've made it explicit that we're meeting needs first. And I mean, that's the top level, right? And I think a lot of the yes. time that gets passed over into, I mean, if we're lucky values and principles, but as you discussed earlier, it usually jumps to practices and tools. But the fact that everything we're doing is meeting some kind of need, whether it's talking on a podcast, delivering software, you know, as, as a development team, we're meeting the needs of a customer, but we're also hoping our needs are met as people. And I think that discussion is often just discarded. And if you're, like you said, if you're aligned in your neck, you know, at the, or at your skull, at the top of, of the spine, everything else gets out of alignment. You know, you're, you're hunched over, you're, you're not as optimal as you could be. This is, I think, when you talk about the power, I think, yes, there's five levels and, and being able to elegantly or, or intentionally navigate them is important. But the fact that you're carrying needs from the top all the way down, I think is just phenomenal. And I think there's a lot of power there too. Yeah, so that's that's been our experience when we're applying this with people. Uh, we tend to model organizations as if it's a machine and that the people live in service of the machine. You know, this is the language. We need a Java resource. You know, we have a cog that's broken and we need a new Java-shaped cog to plug into the machine. And the whole thing of needs tends to get lost when we have that metaphor for an organization and it, it, it doesn't serve us. Um, and so we like to try and shift the conversation towards needs, towards, you know, the agile way of putting humans at the center and getting the machines to live in service of the humans uh, is a far more powerful model for, for what we do. Well, guys, I, I just want to thank you for uh, explaining the spine model to me, especially you've met my need of, of wanting to learn more about this. I think the audience, uh, I think their eyes have been open to some interesting and, and powerful questions uh, that this model brings forward. So I really appreciate that. Um, at this point of the show, I open it up to the guests to promote uh, anything they have going on, companies, websites, projects. Um, I will get the spine model, uh, all the links, uh, the two sites, the past podcast episodes that you've done, uh, your Agile 2015 talk. I'll get all of that linked up. Uh, into the show notes. Um, but if there's anything you'd like to promote or make the audience aware of, this is your time to do so. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we're always interested in, in travel opportunities. Uh, you know, there's only so much going on in South Africa and uh, <laughs> you, you get to be really good at spotting wildlife, but it would be interesting to spot a few other things. So that's, that's always interesting. One thing I'd specifically like to, to just touch on is the idea of team tourism. I don't know if we spoke to you at all about that when you were here, but uh, there's a website called teamtourism.directory, um, which explains what it is. And essentially, it's if you think about where you work as an island, your team as an island, you have a particular culture, you have a particular way of doing things, your, your principles, practices, tools, etc. And a lot of that might be invisible to you because it's all you've ever seen. Whereas if you go as a tourist and visit another island, another team in a different archipelago, you're going to see something very different to the way you do things. And it's going to give you this triangulation opportunity. You're going to be able to share a bit of your culture with them and take a bit back to your island with you. And so 
Team Tourism.directory gives a whole lot of information on, on that. We've used it very successfully locally. Uh, we'd be very interested in getting people around the world to offer their teams as a place to visit and, and connecting people um, to create a community. Well, that sounds phenomenal. I'll get, uh, I'll get a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, how about you, Danny? It's always fun to play. So wherever there are fun opportunities to play and to expand and to grow and to learn new things, that's where I want to be. Uh, we, Kevin and I are very good at playing together and we, are, we enjoy presenting together and we enjoy being in teams together and wherever there's, there's uncertainty and wherever there's chaos and wherever, wherever there's weird language in the environment and people say we are agile because X, that's, that's where we want to be. That's, that's where we, we like to be and like to improve the system as much as we can. Uh, one of my strongest beliefs is that all people are always awesome in all ways and always. The systems they are in is sometimes not so healthy. So it is not my intent to fix the people. It is my intent to show the people how to fix the system they are in. And at the core of that is the spine model way of thinking about systems. Well, thank you for that. How can the listeners keep in touch? Uh, Twitter is usually pretty common, but if, do you have a way that if they want to ask more questions, uh, how would you prefer that they reach out and continue the conversation? There is a Twitter account at Spine Model where Donnie and I would both respond on. Um, I'm at, at Kevin Trithui, uh, if you can spell that, good luck, um, Donnie. I am at Donnie I'm at, at Donnie and at Donnie as well. All right, so we'll get links to all of that in the show notes uh, and make sure that people can continue the conversation. Again, guys, really appreciate you uh, taking a, an hour with me to talk through the spine model. I, I had just heard a little bit about it while we were in South Africa. I uh, just did not get a chance to deep dive it. Um, I'm definitely going to take a lot of the questions that you pose and, and the structure, uh, you know, the, the needs down to, to values, to principles, to practices, to tools. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some experiments with that conversation type and just see if we can get back up to agreement and then work back down. And uh, I will participate on your wiki site and provide some feedback based on how that went. So really appreciate you doing that. Uh, just a fabulous discussion. You know, as for me, your host, Ryan Ripley, everybody out there in Agile for Humans land, you've been sharing the show. Our download numbers are just jumping up uh, week over week. So thank you for that. I really appreciate the fact that you're sharing. We're actually seeing a big jump in South Africa as well. Uh, the visit there at, at, at Agile Africa really um, boosted our numbers, and we're seeing a lot of listens from there too. So to our South African friends, thank you for listening, and for everyone else around the world. It's really just great to see the show grow. It gives us the opportunity to talk to people like Kevin and Danny about uh, their really interesting ideas that they're working on in their community, uh, and I'm glad we're able to get those out. So... All right, everybody, this is the end of this week's episode of Agile for Humans. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening and have a great night. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.